0: I'm Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Naor Menninger. And you're listening to Two
1: Nice Jewish Boys. Reading through a list of Achinoam Nini's performances, you can't help but be taken aback by the sheer magnitude of her career. Carnegie Hall, Olympia in Paris, the Colosseum in Rome, just to name a few. From humble beginnings, Nini, or Noah as she is known outside of Israel, has conquered the world with her music. In 1994, in the presence of Pope John Paul II, Nini performed Ave Maria for a live audience of 100,000 and a television audience of millions at the Vatican in Rome. In 2000, Nini recorded La Vita e Bella, the theme song for Roberto Benini's Oscar-winning film, Life is Beautiful. The list of her accomplishments goes on and on and on. She performed in the White House before President Clinton and collaborated to this day with Sting, Stevie Wonder, Santana, Sheryl Crow, Mercedes Sosa, and many others. There is no question that Nini and her music are a pillar not only in Israeli music, but in the global music world as well. We are beyond thrilled to be joined by one of the greats, the legendary Noah. (laughs) This podcast is made in collaboration with The Jewish Journal. <laughs>
2: that was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Sweetly exaggerated. <laughs> Not at all. Just Not the right, right amount. Thank
1: you. Thank you. You're sweet. Thank you for, for gracing us. And uh, so we, let's start with, uh, I guess, the very beginning. What was, do you remember the first song you ever sang?
2: Hmm. Well, I started singing like many uh, musicians or performers, I, I guess, at a very young age. It was very intuitive for me. Uh, my, I don't remember that exactly. My parents tell me that I was, you know, always on the table with a carrot in my hand, you know, <laughs> stereotypical kind of thing. Um, but what I, I, I remember, of course, singing um, songs in choir in, in Yeshiva. I went to a religious Jewish school, mm-hmm. Salanta Akiba Riverdale, and I was in choir uh, and so I sang the, the songs in choir. And, um, but I also started writing my own songs very early on. So I, th- I think I was eight or nine when I started composing my own songs and actually recorded them at the age of 12, thanks to the um, graces of my music teacher, who was also the choir leader, of Shalom Katz, <laughs> which uh, now lives in Israel. I'm still in good touch with him. He's an amazing man, and I really owe him. I think I owe him my career in many ways because he was the first person to encourage me greatly and to express enthusiasm about my voice so he was like writing. let's record no he, I, he would he had this thing where he would always say he he sort of noticed me he noticed that i that i you know that music was 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 a part of me it was in me big time and he would uh ask me to stay after choir and and ask me questions so do you like this do you like that do you write songs play me your songs and i would play him my songs that i was writing on piano and he was so excited about them. And every time he was excited, that would give me like huge energy. And I would write something else and bring it to him. So he, he really encouraged me. And then when I was 12, after several years of being in choir and, and him him being my teacher, he suggested that I record professionally my songs. At, at 12, we were pretty young age to get into a recording studio. With professional musicians that could be my parents and stuff like that. Wow. So he actually did that for me. And he really believed that I could be a child star. Now. Um the funny thing is that I did not want that. <laughs> I didn't want to be a child star. How different
1: I, from today. Yeah, I mean I wanted racing to all YouTube. I wanted
2: to do was was I I loved writing songs and singing them and I wanted to be a normal child. So I did that. I had my my recording and I continued, you know, writing songs, being in choir um whatever
0: happened to these recordings
2: <laughs> yes they are hidden <laughs> in my home on a cassette i guess i should probably put them on the computer before there'll be no place to play them right. anymore yeah i was gonna say there's but, no yeah. use there,
1: you know no need to hide them if they're on a cassette exactly <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah they're there and yeah they're very funny they're very naive you know very influenced by what i was listening to at the time which is either religious music you know the song they're about god and whatever uh, there's a song about cockroaches as I was really, I mean, cockroaches were a dominant part of my life. I was obsessed with cockroaches and terrified of them. And New York <laughs> was full of cockroaches, the Bronx, where I grew up. So I, t- I, I tell a story about a cockroach as if he's, you know, a person coming to New York and dealing with, you know, the hardships Very of Kafkaesque. life. Very kafka Very kafka definitely. Yeah, I, I, I realized <laughs> later on. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and like Kichi love songs. this sounded like the stuff I, that was on the radio. Um, I was also very influenced by Broadway. I'm a huge Broadway fan wow. um, to this day. And so there was a lot of like, tunes, so it's like show tunes kind of thing. But anyway, that, that it was what it was. And um, Would you
1: go to Broadway uh, musicals as a kid? <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. I saw tons of Broadway musicals, and I still love watching them. And um, wow. I was especially drawn to uh, Leonard Bernstein mm-hmm. and everything that he wrote. Um, of course, the, the West Side Story, the famous famous or Candide, or stuff like that. But everything he wrote, I was just enamored of to this day. He's had a huge impact on me, and also uh, Gilbert and Sullivan. You know that kind of style, Gilbert and Sullivan, the very uh, more British um, musical theater style mm-hmm. that that was. I, I we saw a lot of in New York at the time, so that had a huge impact on me.
1: Do you remember the first time you got? I'm I'm, I'm intrigued by first times, I guess. But yeah, do you remember the first <laughs> time you got on stage. You actually uh, got up and performed.
2: Yeah, well, th- well, that was, again, in choir. That was uh-huh. of Shalom Katz's S.A.R. Academy Choir. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was the first but time we were actually alone. on stage. I had a solo, I remember. I had ah, a solo okay. in a beautiful song called Boy Ima. Know that song? Mm. It's a beautiful. Boy Ima, boy Ima. That kind of very, very like, oh, you know, come, mama, come. And say, I remember. Give a Russian. Yeah, that kind of, you know, very, very like pathos. And, you know, and I remember my mother was in the crowd and listening to me and she was weeping. And here I am, this <laughs> little girl with a little nightingale girl with very, very thin and with glasses and braids. And little ugly duckling but with this pretty voice and my mother just thrilled yeah that was a very uh, like a a moment branded in my memory
0: so then you you come to israel you're making aliyah Mm -hmm. and but when is your big break and how did it happen
2: well i came to israel as a almost 17 year old to jerusalem to the boarding school in boyer boyer uh, school in jerusalem uh, my parents stayed in the United States almost 15 years after I, I came. The reason I came to Israel was not, I mean, I told my parents it was because of Zionism and the fact that I wanted to live in the country where I was born and we were raised as Israelis and Jews and blah, blah, blah. But that was just the cover story for the fact that I was just in love with a guy. <laughs> <laughs> Wikipedia doesn't say that, yeah. you know. Well, Wikipedia, don't, don't rely on them too much. <laughs> um, um, so, yes, I met a, a young man in a summer vacation on a summer vacation. Uh, he was a soldier uh, at Katsin, and I was on a hiking trip of Cheval HaGanat here in Israel, and that was it. I was so I fell in love with, with him big time. I mean, as in totally bezuzu. And all I could think about was how to come back to Israel and be with him. Um, and uh, so I made this plan w- with my parents. I told them that I really wanted to make aliyah, blah, blah, blah. And I was in a Tofim in New York, and I did bagruyat in New York as much as I needed to to get into Yudalif. And mm-hmm. got accepted to this really good school. I had good grades. Fortunately, that helped me a lot. And, um, and then I found myself with, with my boyfriend. He was studying medicine in Jerusalem. He was already had finished the army by then, and seven years older than I am. And so I was, they had no idea. They knew that there was a guy somewhere, but they had no idea that that was like the major major drive of this whole operation. Um, they had no choice but to let me go because I was so determined. I would just not take no for an answer. <laughs> if they would say no, I would leave. Just leave home. Um, So and what I,
1: happened with that romance? Was it a
2: marriage to this day? Wow! And I'm married to that guy. He's the father of my three children. The kind and, of stories
1: you don't hear too often no, anymore. It's really quite yeah. insane. I was expecting you to say, ah, we broke no, up in a month. No, we did and... not. <laughs> we
2: stayed together. We got married when I was 21, and I started having children when I was 30. And we have three beautiful ones. And he's a fantastic doctor. And we're still very much in love with each other, believe it or not. Wow. He's a doctor. That's the most important thing for your parents. My mother is relaxed. Okay, at least as a doctor. (laughs) You know, the Yemenites and polish it's all the same thing.
0: (laughs) I propose uh, uh, Yemenites. You know, I wanted to ask you about that. Because before we go, go back to your big break. Because it seems that. Yemenite Jews, I don't know how much American Jews, Jewry, how much they know about the history of Yemenite Judaism here in Israel, but it seems that music is intertwined with Mm -hmm. that community.
2: I think that many American Jews actually do know quite a lot about the um, propensity between uh, Yemenite Jews and the musical phenomenon because of several Characters Maybe first and foremost, Shoshana Damari, which mm-hmm. was such an outstanding character in classic Israeli folk music. And then Ofra Chaza, which yes. was, you know, really made her way and got made her way to many hearts around the world and in American Jewry as well. And, um, and 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 many others, and I'm part of the many others, you know. And also, there's Inbal, the Thea- Inbal Theater, and Sarah Levitanai. Inbal dance and music theater um, um, had world renown at a certain point. Sara Levitanai worked with Martha Graham and worked with some of the most um, prevalent uh, directors of modern dance or creators of modern dance in the world, Alvin Ailey, etc. And she made quite a name for herself. And she was exact- she brought the beauty, the sinuous and, 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 and passionate beauty. Um, and depths of um, of Jewish Yemenite culture to the stage. Is music a front. big part of that culture? Oh yes. She wrote she wrote songs. I actually, met her before she passed away. An amazing woman, and I had a chance to work with her and sing with her when I was in my early twenties. And she was an incredible character that had a huge impact. Uh, internationally so so from between her and Shoshana and Ofra and 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 many today you find a lot I mean uh, uh, me me also even though I don't put the Yemenite Jewish music at the forefront of my creative process I do right. it occasionally but it's not my thing I'm more of a Joni Mitchell than of a than of a Sarah Levitanai but um if you look at at today there's Yemen blues that's and you know, yep. Ravid Kalani is all over and people love it and there's Awa, you know those three Yemenite girls which are you know all getting to a lot of recognition and they're really great. And yeah, there's more and more of it because it's, it's really cool. It's wonderful. And so I think people are get, getting more and more exposed to it.
1: I wonder though, if the American community, because when the American Jewish community looks at Jews, I think they split them into like Ashkenazi Svaradi. Yeah. They don't, I don't know how much they're aware they of, about the like, other edot, you know, the, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. But let's, let's, let's talk back. Let's yeah. get back to the, the, the big break. You, you came to Israel at age 17. Yeah. Okay, and then you Served in the uh, army? for this guy. You, well, you're... yeah,
2: <laughs> for love, for love. Any, I don't think you do anything really significant in your life if love is, of some sort is not involved. But uh, yes, and then I, I, I went to Lahakatzvait. You know the Israel Defense Forces musical units, or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call them. Americans would probably be able to associate with the USO kind of thing. Like There used to be some just entertainment within the military. And Israel has a very glorious tradition of um, of army bands. Mm-hmm. A lot of the greatest hits of, of, of Israeli music, you know, from the 60s and 70s came from the army bands. Anyway, I was in w- such a band of, of the, the Northern Command, Pikut Lehakat Lahakat the Northern Command Army Band. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, it was two years of, um, I learned a lot definitely, during the army, worked very hard. It was uh, quite... You know
0: quite, by now that you, you want to be a musician?
2: You know, it's funny. I, 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 You're asking if it did I know at the time. Um, intuitively, probably, yes. But the, the cerebrally, I was still where my father wanted me to be, which is an academic. You know, my father dreamt that I would be an academic. As I told you, I... I was very good at school, and, you know, it was, it was very clear that I could continue to almost any college or university that I wanted to, and my father himself has a PhD in, in chemical engineering. He's a very educated man, and he really wanted me to continue in that vein, um, so he pushed, and I you know try to be a good girl and so i would say yeah i love music but i'm gonna go you know i'm gonna go get a degree in something and i remember a friend of mine in, in the band told at one point when i told him that told me you nuts what are you crazy <laughs> <laughs> you want to walk up at age 40 and realize you missed you know the, your your real calling don't be an idiot you know you're so obviously and they told me anybody else in this band i could tell them go 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 study law <laughs> you you're the only one i would say definitely you, you're a musician and, you was know, that, any... was a, that was a moment in time, you know, when I said, oh, my God, this guy's right. What am I, an idiot?
1: Was there any kind of drive towards, I don't know, the sciences or, I mean, what, I what, what, of... what would you have studied?
2: I, I would have studied, um, well, I was very interested, I'm still in, in, in English literature. Oh. And I, I wa- always want to study English literature in Oxford. And another thing that I, um, I'm very interested in is political science. Okay. Uh, actually, just uh, now I, I just spent hours on on YouTube listening to incredible lectures by you know from all over the world. It's so great that you can do that, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's maybe something that I maybe I will <laughs> at some point. No, maybe it's go good and you study. didn't go study yeah, English literature. Know. <laughs> well, actually, <laughs> there's you not know, much you can do with let me, it. Let me tell you, this is the thing, right? I, I never went to I, I only have a high school education, right? Uh-huh. After high school, I went to Rimon. For one year, I didn't even finish that. Which is Israel's, Israel's top. Berkeley School of Music, right? right. Ba- basically, for Americans, that would home it in. Um, it's it's a jazz and contemporary uh, music school, founded by a group of very talented Israeli musicians that studied in the United States and came back and decided Israel needed such an uh, an institution. Um, I came there. I met Gil Dor, um, which uh, was my teacher for many of the classes that I had that I had signed up for. Um, and
1: accompanies to you till today, right? That to this was, day. That's... As you
2: can see, I'm a long-term relationships kind of girl. <laughs> so yes, Gil and I have been working together now for 28 years, which is wow. just, I think it's its unprecedented in the pop music <laughs> Isn't it amazing well, how you yeah.
0: meet someone in your life?
2: God only knows how that happens and why. That... But I'll tell you, first of all, it's amazing and it's, you know, maybe it's fate, Goral, you know, we say or whatever. But it's also something in, a, in your character. I guess I'm just a character, a person that, that, that um, loves and needs and is willing to fight for relationships and families. I need a family. I was never interested in being a lone wolf or a star by that, by that in, in, in if we're talking. I'm not a person that is interested in stardom or in being in, in, in the front of the stage. I'm there. It sort of happened to me. But mm-hmm. it's not something that I ever really needed or wanted or fought for to be in front so anyone else would be in back. You know? right. That's ridiculous. I always wanted to be a part of a band. You know, I'd be the front because I I sing and I write songs. I wanted to be Sting and the Police. Well, that, that's the <laughs> ideal thing. I also love Sting, but um, and then so I went to Ramon really to find a band. That was my goal. I wanted to find musicians to collaborate with. I didn't. I couldn't imagine it would be the teacher himself, and that we would have this really, I'm mean, really deep and incredible musical relationship over so many years that has brought us, you know, to working with many different musical ensembles from rock bands to electronic music to full symphony orchestras. We've done it all. We do it all all the time. And, but we're the heart of the of the uh, the band, right? And um, so that's that's what happened with with, with uh, the the collaboration Gildor. with him
0: brought the first yeah. Yeah. Uh, record. I mean, what I what and... I really wanted
2: to say at the beginning of this whole little monologue is that I never got a formal education of any sort, right. but I've actually been getting education all these years. I mean, in my own way, I'm an mm-hmm. autodeduct. You know, so I've taught myself several languages, several instruments. Notes. I don't. I read music, but yeah, I didn't get obsessed with the musical thing because I have a very good ear, and I'm very good with just you know doing things, with, um, in another way, in a different ways. I read a ton of books. I love literature and poetry, so maybe I didn't study it in university, but mm-hmm. I've studied it, you know, in my heart. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I,
1: you mentioned stardom, and and also as you tell your story, you, you know, someone get you can easily get the impression that you worked. Really hard to read. It wasn't like I mean we keep asking you about your big break, but I it did. I
2: did. Well, let me let me just tell you where my big break was. Yeah. I did have one incredible break, and yeah. that is that. Um, I don't know if you uh, if you know of the musician Pat Metheny. Pat Metheny. No. Wow, that's so sad that you don't know who he is. <laughs> I'm sorry for you, but it's not too late. You can go and seek him out. <laughs> well, Pat Metheny is uh, an incredible jazz guitarist. Uh-huh. Um, one in his generation, really. Re- American? Reinvented, very American from Missouri, <laughs> reinvented the guitar, um, the jazz guitar, hugely famous, has won a ton of Grammys, maybe more than I think any other jazz musician ever, and um, amazing, such a hero for all musicians everywhere. I mean, musicians who are really into like music, composition, playing, I and mean, so yeah. Pat Metheny, he's okay, so Pat Metheny um, uh, produced my first international album. To say that that is a miracle is an understatement. It's such a Cinderella story for a girl, from a Yemenite Jewish girl from the Bronx living in Israel that would even be noticed by somebody like that and have a chance to work with him and his incredible musicians.
0: How did it and happen?
2: happen? It happened because Gil Dord met Pat first at Berkeley School when they were students together many, many years ago. Um, and then when Pat came to play concerts in Israel, the Ramon School would often invite musicians to Ramon to do work, workshops just to meet the students. And many jazz musicians especially would love to do that, you know, because I always say the greater the talent, the more the humility. If you, the, the smaller the talent, the bigger the ego. <laughs> that's just the way it is. So when you have a, like a really big talent, you love music, you love musicians, you're there, okay, I have a, t- a day off. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share what I have with others. So that's how Pat came to Ramon. And Gil hosted him for like these 24 hours. They were together and speaking. They had a good chemistry. And Pat told Gil, if you ever run into a a great talent, let me know. Because he's always picking up new people. And so when Gil met me, he decided that I was the person that he was going to pass on to Pat. I thought, being an American, knowing Pat Metheny, I said, no way. As I, that is so like... That's an illusion. That's not going to happen. But he or said, in today's parlance, shut up. No, I'm saying, like, <laughs> no, like, like, come on. <laughs> Get out. <at. laughs> Get out here. But he, he insisted that I call him and that I try. And so to make a long story short, we ended up producing an album he brought us to David Geffen. He was signed to Geffen Records at the time, and he insisted that Geffen sign us because he thought we were so great. The
0: producer of X Men for, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. also known as the. Well,
2: David Geffen, before he became you know a movie mogul, right. was a music mogul, and right. he produced some of the most influential and important albums of pop world. And to be signed to his company was a huge honor. And that's how we started. That was our big, big break. Now from that moment I remember Pat told us, okay guys, you got your break, now fasten your seatbelts because you're going to be on planes and trains and cars and you're going to be working very hard. And he was right because it's been now 25 years. The Gil and I have been on the road, working hard, you know, busting our You about, were just touring now, <laughs> right? In I'm Europe, always touring. Yeah. I'm all, I've been touring for a quarter of a century.
0: <laughs> People don't realize, you know, when I told my Italian friends we're having you, they were psyched. Yeah. They <laughs> were. And you, they're younger than me. Yeah. And I'm, they, a, I'm
2: a pretty big star there. Yeah, it's just also like something so, so strange. How yeah. did that happen? Um, well, th- there, there are uh, pretty clear explanations for that one, actually. First of all, Italy is amazing. I just love Italy. <laughs> And there's like, we've developed a love affair between us, me and that whole country. It came from, first of all, me performing there in every village and under every tree for years. Okay. Um, Second, the big breaks. So there was the Pope, you know, and the Ave Maria, which is such a really, sometimes I stop and think that Ave Maria was crazy because I'm not even singing that Christian prayer. I'm singing uh, lyrics that I wrote. Me, a Jewish girl, it's like a, a Christian girl <laughs> would write her own words to Avinu Malkeinu and be invited to the synagogue in to Jerusalem to by the chief rabbi, right? <laughs> right. But that's what happened. We were invited by the Vatican to sing my version of Ave Maria with my own words, which are not Christian. They're ecumenical. You know, they're a prayer for peace with an arrangement that we wrote. They didn't ask me to change anything. You know, they embraced that, and so, and the Italians were blown away by it. You know, for them, it was like such a symbol of breaking the walls between breaking the walls of antagonism and bringing people together and they love that. They're such warm people. They care about But how humanity. did that even happen in the first That place? happened... Oh my God, this is... A, okay, this is the thing. I rec, why I recorded that, that Ave Maria on my first album, the one produced by Pat Messini. Pat, by the way, was like, he was in love with that. I remember when I recorded the vocal... When I came out of the recording studio, he came up with tears in his eyes and hugged me. And I couldn't believe it. You know, it's just a little girl. And here's this person, my, my hero, is so crying and hugging me saying, it's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. I'm like, you know, I can die. Happy right now. <laughs> anyway, that was on the album. The guy who was doing the musical direction of the Vatican event, yeah, was a Pat Metheny fan. So he was just browsing in Rome through the record store and he said, oh my God, new Pat Metheny, this is not Pat Metheny, who's this girl? And he looked around and said, Alva Maria said, ah, perfect, that's how it happened. Wow. Wow. And they called us up (laughs) and they told us and they told, and when they invited us, my manager told me, oh, this is, I don't think this is serious. This looks like some spammy thing. And I told him, "Are you sure? Check it." And so he checked, and I said, "Oh my God, this is serious. Ach, you know, we're going to the Vatican." You thought it was a, a we thought scam it was a joke. Email? No, it, 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 we thought it was spam before there was such a thing as spam. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't even email. I think it was a fax. I don't know. <laughs> it was before the, all of that.
0: So, what did the Pope say? Did he like the performance? Yeah, th-
2: this Pope was an amazing Pope. I performed for him fifteen times after that, and really? then I performed for Pope Benedict and for Pope right. Francis. Now, several times, I've performed for, and I'm going to meet the Pope again in, se- in late September. The Vatican has a thing with me. Yeah, <laughs> it's a really—I like, don't know. It's just the thing. Uh, so between open that, invitation between that there. and the Roberto Benini song, mm-hmm. which became huge hit, I mean, there's we no must one. clear this
0: one up because yeah. in the beginning, you know, in my consciousness, yeah, the song was in the film. Right. But when I researched, I, I found out that you recorded it like well, makes, a year. I'll tell you. Now I will so tell you the whole it's story. It's so confusing. It's
2: interesting to tell. you, know, it's, uh, you know, it, it's interesting for whoever likes that kind of stuff. So the movie came out with a, so- with a soundtrack written by Nicola Piovani. There was no song. There were musical themes. It's a musical soundtrack. There were no theme songs. Yeah. Um, it won the Oscar. It won the Grammy. It won everything. It, uh, no, it won the Oscar for the soundtrack and the Oscar for the film and everything. Yeah. And, and it was a big bonanza. Then they decided to release the DVD. Okay, so they said, "Okay, oh, we release the DVD? How, you know, we have no song. We need a song, okay? So then Nicola Piovanni, now here is a very beautiful story, okay?
0: The composer Nicola Piovanni
2: is the composer of many, many amazing soundtracks within the Italian film industry and has worked with Benini for years. Um, several years before this film came out, he had fallen ill, very ill, um, and he was hospitalized for months. And during that time, he was listening to a certain album in a loop that he claims... Um, helped him emerge from his illness, and that was me. Why, wow. I do not know. Not the first album, the second international album I made called Calling. He loved that album. So he had me in his head as his little savior angel, okay? So then when they asked, who should we approach about this soundtrack, he said, well, I love Noah. She's Jewish. She's Israeli. This is a, a film about the Holocaust. This is perfect. So he asked me. He called me and asked me if I would. Be. Again, like the Vatican, I said, this is not serious. You're not serious. <laughs> <laughs> but it was serious. So then he told me, I want you to write lyrics to the main theme, okay? The main theme you will not know because it's not what I wrote lyrics to. But that's what he insisted that I write lyrics to. And I told him, listen, Nicola, this is nice, but that's not the song. The song is the other theme. And we argued about this, and I... So this day, I don't know how I had the balls to argue with this guy. Again, much my elder, very famous, Oscar award winning And here I am arguing with him at the risk that he might tell me to fuck off. Excuse my language. <laughs> yeah. You know, so and I, but I was so sure. And he thanks me to this day because I was right that this one and not the one that he wanted is the one that was a song. So I told him, just let me I'll create the song. I'll take the theme and create a song, which I did together with Gil Dora, And we wrote lyrics in English and Hebrew and we and we recorded it in, in Israel and uh, we sent it to them and they just adored it. They loved it. I remember Benini calling me up in his funny accent and saying, Moa che bello, na ma che bello <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what well, lyrics he loved them. He till this day he really loves it. And it became like this huge so they put it on, on the on the DVD. And for uh-huh. I always say if you had just called me before the movie was released, we could have an ice cream. <laughs> but right. anyway, better late than never And uh, and it became this huge it was translated to a million languages. It's been all over the world. And it's I
0: think Think you're the Probably my
2: hit. yeah. Between it depends on which country though, because you know, uh, okay. for example, in France where I became very 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 popular in the 90s, I was hugely successful there. Um, there was a song called "I Don't Know." Do you know my song "I Don't Know"? No. Oh my god, it was such a big hit. It was a huge hit. I don't know. <laughs> you should listen to it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> nice. I don't know. It was really really big hit. To us, your biggest yeah. hits are anyway, the the ones there, from the and poets. And in Israel, there's yeah. Boykala and Uri yeah. and Kiran, and the Jewish Americans again will know those because they spillover from Israel, Uri. Uri, by the way, is one of my big sits around the world, which is crazy because it's a ballad in Hebrew. Yeah. And people just adore non-Jews, non-Hebrew speakers. They just connect to it. They learn it phonetically. They sing it. Many of them come to Israel. I always say I should open Noah tours because I have all <laughs> my fans that come to Israel because they want to, they want to seek out the sources of inspiration for the songs, which is just so beautiful, I, I, I find. Really? Oh, yeah. And DJ. they go to the Kineret, to keverachel, to find where the poet that wrote all these beautiful things. And lag Goldberg, they find her house in Tel Aviv, and all those things. You can't imagine. It's really, wow. really beautiful. Yeah. I'm so proud of that, actually.
1: So I I have to ask, because it, it does seem like I said that you... Uh, so... Like no doubt, there's these uh, lucky breaks, I guess, mm-hmm. as you describe them. But I f- I assume they're not as lucky as you're painting them because you know you you put a lot of hard work and effort into your career, and that That's true. kind of uh, <laughs> yielded uh, these seeds. But I'm wondering, you know, since you really worked and you really uh, you toiled over your 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 music. What you think of this uh this nowadays where we have you know like uh, American Idol and where we have uh mm-hmm. Ba, all these these songs first of all, you know someone you of offered? your caliber yeah would it'd be expected would be offered to be a judge on one of those shows, and second of all, just in general, how you think of that whole new cultural...
2: well, hmm you know, I have a very clear opinion about it and, <laughs> and, uh, I imagine yeah. <laughs> But you know, recently I've been a li- rethinking it a little bit. Uh, I'm, a, I'm against it. The bottom line is that I'm very much against all those things. I'm very much against them. Yes, of course, I was offered to be judges on almost every one of these programs, and I have refused that. Um, I, I really don't like those shows for several reasons. Um, I don't think they're about the artists. I don't think they're about the art. They're about a gladiator um, spectacle. Um, for the benefit of the audience, they're about ratings and money, like so many things in the world today. Um, I don't think art is, should be put in competition. That is not. The, the, a, an artist is in competition with himself or herself all the time to be better. An artist is in competition with the world of music. How can I take my, my uh, creation in, in, in relation to everything that has happened before me, and w- what do I have to say? Do I have something to, new to say? Something interesting to say? Where? Where? How? How can I get better? How can I do? How can I pray in the temple of the god of music? That's how I see it. None of that has anything to do with these reality shows. I see them more as these um, pagan rituals, you know, like the virgin on the top of the hill being sacrificed by the priest, and she's bleeding, and everyone is cheering at the bottom, like in the Inca, you know, movies. That, that's basically what, it, what it's all about. How many of these people continue on to have like fruitful careers? Very, very few of them. Uh, many of them end up broken, broken really em- emotionally um, and unable to continue sometimes for years. Um, you know, they're taken up to the 40th story and then thrown down, really thrown with no parachute to the mm-hmm. bottom of the pavement again. Whereas people who sort of work, climb up, you know, just climb, climb, psh- Step by step by step, they would reach their natural place, which could be maybe you know floor ten or fifteen or twenty, and never have to you know fly down from floor four forty and be traumatized in that way. Um, so, um, having said that, there are some people who have got gotten amazing opportunities through these things and become big stars. Is it worth the the, the trauma cost to all the others in order for us to discover those very few? Mm-hmm. I doubt it. In anyway in any case, I do not see myself as 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 part of it. I'm 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 too much in love with with music and art. Really, it's for me has never been a platform for money and fame and glory. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are other ways to achieve those things. You know, I would never want to prostitute art f- in mm-hmm. order to achieve those goals. I think that artists and true artists were never meant to be rich and famous. If you look at all the artists that I admire most, they were never rich and famous. <laughs> you know, from Bach to <laughs> and onwards. Mm-hmm. You know, they were people who lived modestly and did their thing with dedication and love and if they became rich and famous it was by pure chance it wasn't their raison d'etre it wasn't something someone that someone was pushing them in the back to do any artist that can actually just live make a living off their art has achieved an incredible feat really i mean you'll and any musician you ask will tell you that to be able to live off your music or off your art the art you love not selling your soul to the devil oh my god that's like an achievement that I see by the way is my greatest achievement I'm not rich at all but I live off my music and wow mm-hmm. wow and I don't compromise it either so wow. so to
0: the young musicians out there you say because it's that it, it's very tempting it's very it's tempting. very tempting
2: and that's why I really I mean look I don't I really don't want to be judgmental too judgmental I can tell it from my perspective I would not do it if you ask me I don't think that that's the way to go. Although I mean,
0: the, mu- the, if, the musical uh, bands in the army
2: mm-hmm.
0: where a variation, maybe,
2: of that. No, 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 not at all. Really not at all. Not at all. You go to the military, you audition, you get accepted to a band, just like you audition for any show or any play or anything. And then you work, you create a production and you go on the road and you bust your butt you work in every little base here and there and there and there sometimes you get a chance to be on TV and the radio by the way nowadays they don't at all no, yeah, nobody no, nobody even but gives back in a... the day. but back in the day because there was nothing else you know but it wasn't a kochav nulad you were accepted and you you were there you weren't in competition with with you know 10 other people and with ratings and people voting and doing all that no that was not the deal you know it was the normal normal competition that every every uh, artist has to go through in their in their along their journey uh, a totally different thing. Um, uh, again, I'm saying, I wouldn't say to anybody, you know, d- do what you feel. You f- are you just be prepared. If if you know, if you know what you're going towards, and you still think you can handle it, good luck, really good luck. But don't go blindly, like not knowing what the process is, what the price you might pay is. Um, what it might do to you emotionally. If you can prepare yourself for that and you're willing to pay that price and take the chance that it might catapult you to the next level. And to which next level? Because I'm saying, if, if you're a songwriter, for example, a sort of Joni Mitchell kind of person, you know, that kind of platform is not going to encourage that kind of thing. It's going to encourage you to be Celine Dion. That's what they're looking for. Big. You know, I, I remember I once saw in one of those shows that two musicians are put in a boxing rink. And they're actually <laughs> doing, really, in a boxing mm-hmm. ring physically with the, with the things. And they're like, ah! Uh, mm, Uh. like some kind of bullfight i would watch that uh, uh, of course (laughs) because i told you people are very attracted to that kind of thing but does it have anything to do with nuance art is all about nuance art is about singing softly in my opinion you can can sing sotto voce then you can do it because you know if you if you if all you can do is belch Good luck, you know. I, I, that's not my cup of tea.
1: It's the sporting version. So of exactly, music.
2: it's the Olympic version, and I am not. You know, that is not something that I'm attracted to personally at all. And, and and from what I've seen, because I've actually had a lot of these, you know, the dropouts or the fallouts come to me as an international persona, asking for advice, seeking what should we do now? How do we, you know? And and it's really heartbreaking. Tell you the truth, it's heartbreaking to see them trying to deal with what has happened to them so um so it's I hard say, to cash that check even so I after say, yeah, you know i say you know what do your thing just do your thing the world today gives you a lot of possibilities of doing your thing independently right. it's not not to say it's easy it was never easy for any artist ever okay it's still not easy but but if you believe in what you do and you have the you know the patience the strength the the gumption go for it and see what happens
0: so what's up next for you?
2: <laughs> um, oh. oh, well, I'm going to release a new album pretty soon that is uh, based on the music we mentioned of Johann Sebastian Bach. Yeah, it's called Letters to Bach. Yeah, and it's a project that I'm just uh, in love with and I can't wait to, to really get into more. Uh, English? All in English, except for a few a few um, bits in Hebrew. And it's basically me taking pieces a little bit like what I did with Ave Maria, but that was Bach and Gounod. a bit different. But this is pure Bach, not vocal music, instrumental music that I've taken and transformed into songs and written lyrics, wild lyrics. <laughs> to, How uh, wild. <laughs> wild? Well, yeah, some of them are really pretty wild. Yeah. Okay. They're, they're very, um, it's, it's very contemporary. Some of it is very political. It's very humoristic. Okay. Um, very deep, influenced by all kinds of things that are very relevant to me. Uh, and and to, I think to many other people, one, one song was influenced by, it's a real political song influenced by women waging peace. Um, it describes two, two women um, on two sides of a wall. And it's from Concerto Number 5 um, for piano in F minor of Bach the Largo, beautiful piece of music. One piece is about my teenage daughter, which is her speaking to me, which is just insane. <laughs> it's, it's invention number 13 of the two part inventions. There's a song about Elon Musk. <laughs> oh my god totally dedicated to him wow i, I adore Alan that Musk. is going to be yeah, huge it's called mars <laughs> have you <laughs> met him i've not met him yet but i'm looking forward to uh, I'm, <laughs> wow. I'm very good friends with quincy jones and quincy jones is a good friend of Elon Musk. i told me quincy hook me up man <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna meet quincy now very soon because i'm performing at the umbria jazz festival for his tell him what 85th, said i 85th anniversary spectacle so it's really gonna be cool and um there's a song um well, there's a song there that's written like a WhatsApp conversation. <laughs> it's it's pretty cool, and all wow. this Bach that is wild, very accurately sung. There's a song about euthanasia, about mercy killing, a very deep kind of introspection about the meaning of It's a roller coaster of, of an album. It's okay. a, it's a roller coaster of an album, but it's really I decided look if I'm gonna touch Bach. You know I need to give it some substance otherwise what justification do I have to touch right. this great man's compositions but if I can give them a little bit of a different perspective you know a little peephole into our world now two thousand eighteen slash nineteen that that's cool so um so I that's what I'm doing uh, now and really enjoying and Every time I slap it on the audience, they, sort, they go bazuzu. Are <laughs> so you always oh yeah, testing right, it. Of course, of course. I always do that. So the moment I write something new that I like, boom, I stick it in the show. Let's see what happens. <laughs> Jump in the water.
1: So you've performed all over the world, um, <laughs> but you've also performed in a lot of Jewish communities in the States. Have you noticed any kind of uh, uh, change in the Jewish community?
2: Um, yes, I have to say that I have noticed um, noticed many changes in the, in the way the Jewish communities um, um, handle themselves, um, react to, interact with uh, with Israel and with Israeli artists. I do see a change in that. Um, a little bit worrying sometimes for me. I, I, How uh, so? Well, um, I think that the, the Jewish communities in general need to figure a lot of stuff out right now. Mm-hmm. They, they, they're not in an easy position uh, within themselves um, and with their relationship towards Israel. And maybe the relationship towards Israel is, is one of the critical things here because I think in the past it was easier um, for everyone. Uh, everyone was just really proud of Israel. <laughs> I mean, or most people. No, there were always maybe... People who thought that it, Israel was not a good idea to begin with—you know, there, there were those—but I'm talking about Zionism, you know. And I'm, I grew up in a Zionist home. I'm very much a Zionist myself. And for people who consider themselves Zionists, they just Israel was great. Wow, miracle in the desert. Whoa, mm-hmm. you know, off the ashes of of, of the pogroms and, the, and what happened in the Pale and then and then Hitler and then look at us—we've we've we've created this beautiful country and all its achievements and everything—and that was great. And then in the last, I'd say. Actually, since Rabin was murdered. We're not talking 20 years. Mm-hmm. You were there. I was definitely there. I was standing on stage performing and what I thought was going to be a happy, happy day, you know, a peace rally, celebrating the Oslo agreements, a hopeful moment where maybe we were emerging from a darker period into light um, and, and really congratulating and, and, and supporting, strengthening Rabin and, and, and uh, Peres for the efforts that they made. And then that murder, that assassination by a Jew, a Yemenite Jew, <laughs> by a Jew, um, it happened just 10 minutes after I was on stage. And um, I, I like to say that, that um, Rabin's life ended and my life changed. At that moment, he lost his life and my life would never be the same. That's, I, I felt that it was like really like, the, like an, a, a, a huge iceberg splitting and, mm-hmm. and, and my life was different. I decided at that point that I was no longer able to just ignore what was going on in Israel, um, because at that point it was very convenient for me to do so. I was already uh, had an international career and a very I was very popular in Israel. I just had no, I didn't even bother to make myself knowledgeable. I just knew in general terms, you know, that this we needed peace and let's go for it, blah blah blah. And then I started saying, okay, well this guy paid for his life, then I can maybe also pay a price if need be, in order to bring us to a different place. And did you um, pay a price? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Still still paying? Yeah, yeah, no, doesn't stop ever. Um, but I always say that, um, you know, the price of talking is high. But the price of silence is higher. It just depends how far you're willing to look. The price of silence will be paid by your children. And are you willing to uh, settle for that? Not me. I'm saying I prefer to talk now and not to just, you know, let things roll and deteriorate as I see them deteriorating and saying, well, the next generation will deal with it. I'm just too busy making a living right now and just taking care of myself.
1: So what was the change in the Jewish community that you saw post-Rabin? or what so, is the big challenge so, they are well, facing? Well,
2: first of all, I, I, um, as, I, as I was saying, this change from Robin's assassination, and to this day, Israel has gone through enormous changes. Um, and... Now it is in a point where it is not so clear that you look in Israel and say, "Wow, how wonderful!" You can't. You say there are wonderful things about Israel, but there are many things that we need to deal with. That we need that if you have a certain. Um, view of life, you know, there, 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 are some that will say everything's great, you know. It, there's no problem for Israel not to be a democracy. There's no problem for Israel to be a theocracy. There's no problem for Israel to, you know, to not reach out to, to be, you know, to for the occupation to continue. Um, we don't really care about human rights or equal rights or all of that stuff. We care about it in America, right? And this is a place which really is difficult for me to see. American Jews will fight, you know, with all their might for those things to be achieved in their country so they will have a democracy that they have a liberal democracy where they can do whatever they want everything will be free you know and they can live because Jews need um, a free democracy in order to thrive they can't you know <laughs> throughout history in every place where there was you know racism then the Jews were the first victims but then they're willing to let it slide in Israel why is beyond me i mean why it's okay for them to see all the things that they would never put up with at home happen in Israel is for me a big problem um, Israel, Jewish, Jewish Americans will be extremely critical of an American president. Trump, for example. I'm sure that not all American Jews support Trump. Maybe a large, a large number of them do not. But they will not be able to deal with anyone within the de- democratic state of Israel criticizing the Israeli prime minister. That is a no-no. You can criticize, they can criticize their own president, but Israelis can't criticize our prime minister. you really minister. feel
1: that American Jewry is, is wary of criticizing uh, oh, Benjamin yes. N- Netanyahu? Oh, yes. Really? Yes.
2: The large majority of American Jewry and, and, and international Jewry, not only American, we're talking about the Jewish diaspora, mm-hmm. at this point in time is saluting Benjamin Netanyahu. A f- the, the small minority that I'm part of will, will be thinking differently. I sit on the board of the New Israel Fund. Okay, I'm a board member of the New Israel Fund, and I'm very proud to be. The New Israel Fund is basically saying, you know, we're pro-Israel, we believe in Israel, we're Zionists. I mean, a large part of the New Israel Fund, the people who sit on the board and run that operation, are just like me, Zionists, who think that, that, there, that certain things happening in Israel are endangering the state of Israel, and that we should be reaching out in order to amend those things, and that we should be strengthening civil society, strengthening human rights, and making Israel the kind of place that we can all be proud of—that's what the New Israel Fund is doing. There is support for that in Jewish diaspora, but it is very minor in compared to the very, you know, um, um, strict conservative, saluting the boss yes. kind of attitude that I see most of the time. You
1: don't think, though, that there is any legitimacy to the to the idea that like some that the fact that American jewelry—I mean, you're you're a bit different, you're very different in the sense that you lived here your whole life and you're, you have Israeli roots, but the fact, long-time American Jewry, living in the States and, and kind of trying to dictate Israeli policy, you don't see... It's not dictating issue. at
2: all. First of all, I lived a large part of my life in the United States, yeah. so I was very, I've experienced the Jewish-American um, vibe and the way that their sense of community, which by the way, on the large part, is just beautiful. I have to say that I felt much more comfortable with my Judaism in the United States than I do in Israel. In Israel, I take my Judaism for granted, it's part of my identity, but I'm not interested in taking part in anything religious Jewish because that is connected here in this country to something oppressive, to something um, strangling, to um, something that is forced upon me, and I don't want that. I mean, in my opinion, in Israel, state and church or state and synagogue should be separated for the sake of state and for the sake of synagogue. In the United States, of course, it's a totally different story. It's a matter of choice, and the Jews have created incredible communities where 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 there's a lot of, of inclusiveness. There's a there's childcare, there's elderly care, there's sports and culture. There's you know there's a there's a synagogue, which is the the, the fulcrum of of, of of community life. It's beautiful. That's not what happens here in Israel. It's a totally different ballgame. Um, I think that that. Um, but I, can, I, always I don't say understand
0: why they can't be pro-BB if they feel like it. They I can. Mean.
2: No, but I'm not talking about those that are pro-BB because they agree with everything he's doing. I'm talking about those that are pro-BB sort of automatically. They don't even look because they say that's what we have to do. We have to support what Israel is doing no matter what. Even though if BB, if a BB like lookalike were president here we would not agree with the kind of things that he's doing. Do you understand? You know, when a, when a, when a prime minister and his It's so a double
0: standard. It's a,
2: a little bit of a double standard. Now, I say, that's right, we, we, we live in Israel. We do. I, I'm t- I say to the Jewish, to the Jewish uh, diaspora, you know, I live in Israel and my son is going to the army, right? Not so yours. My, not, my son not, is going to the army. Not theirs. So, and I'm telling you that I myself am very, very worried about the situation and I will do everything in order to change this government so that my government and my country will strive for peace. You know, I'm not telling my son not to go to the army, but I want to know that my government is doing everything to protect him from going to war he, and, and, that, and to protect us and to l- enable us to live yeah. like you live and like the Europeans live in peace. And, and is that happening? No, that is not happening in what I see. So I, I have to work for it. Now, you, the Jewish people, are an intrinsic part of the state of Israel, and there's no way to cut that umbilical cord. Israel would never ever exist without the support the loving support of the jewish diaspora it was like a mother nurturing her child that child is now grown that's right you're not nursing that child anymore like you needed to do like the Rothschilds and whatever right at the beginning but you know it's part of you it reflects on you you reflect on her and she's she she may be doing depends how you look at it okay i don't know she may be doing crazy things you may look at her and say what this she's drunk driving i know she's taking drugs she's doing i don't understand what she's doing so then you have two options, right? Your options are to ignore that behavior and to say, I support my child no matter what she does, even if she's going to drive the car into the wall and that, that'll be the end of that. Or to say, I think my child needs help and I'm going to be there to help her and I'm going to give her some advice. Maybe I'll take her to rehab. I don't know, but I'll have to. i tell her, you know, I'll take her by the shoulders and say, what are you doing? Look at yourself in the mirror for a second. I'm saying this because I love you. And I always say, the only people who will really give you constructive criticism are those that love you. The others will just not even bother. They won't go there. And so I, I, this, is, now this is a state of mind that most, most people just don't have. For them, they're like, no, 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 no. I'm, you know. There's all kinds of things that I hear. Dirty laundry, for example. How, if we criticize Israel, we're taking the dirty laundry out. Right. And I say to them, guys, first of all, we live in the 21st century. Any sentence that anyone writes everywhere is going to be translated by Google to the whole world, and it's going to be in their faces within about five minutes. So don't think that there's anything you can say at home that is not going to go outside of home. And a second thing, that this is the Hasbara, people say. We need better Hasbara. I say, no, we don't need better Hasbara. We need better policy. When Israel's policy will be conducive to, 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 to anything positive, believe me, the world's going to be there. And what is the proof? Rabin. When Rabin was making peace in Israel... The amount of positivity towards Israel was huge. And I know, because I was already famous at the time, already traveling internationally, feeling the incredible vibe that there was towards Israel. So when Israel... But here
0: many people died. What do you mean? During the Rabin administration, the second one, many people... There, there was war practically.
2: There was an intifada. Intifada. But when Rabin decided to say enough of this, this is this is not going to work. How much? How many bones can we crack? That's what he, what he was saying at the beginning. Let's let's break their legs. And then he said, okay, okay, okay. No, I have to start talking to these people. When he started talking to the Palestinians, I and mean, when there wasn't uh, even the feeling that things were going to change here, the amount of positive energy flowing towards this country was huge. So I say to the people that say it, the world is against us, everyone hates us, you know, anti-Semitism. No, 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 no. Antisemitism is like a virus in the body. Any virus that exists in your body will be depressed or repressed if you behave in a certain way. If you stand naked in the cold for about a week, you'll probably catch the flu, but that virus was there all the time. Same with antisemitism as I see it. If you help anti-Semitism, it'll come out there. If you don't, it'll be in its rightful place, which is way down low. And I think that it's Israel's responsibility to understand that, you know, I think Israel has a a special position in the world. It's not just another country. It's a very small country, which gets an incredible amount of attention. Why? I mean, how? Why? I really think that it's because of the Jewish people, the Bible, the effect of all those stories. Some people say because of
0: anti-Semitism.
2: Maybe because of anti-Semitism. I don't see it that way. That's my personal opinion. Mm -hmm. I I really do think that people... And and why do I say this? You know, I'm very famous in Italy. And I try to understand... Why are all these Italians so interested in peace? They really are. They're interested in peace coming to the Middle East. They really want it to come. They work for it. They create festivals. They do. Why? Because there's a feeling that if peace can come to Jerusalem... Like if Jerusalem, the city of peace, can live in peace, if the people of the Bible, the people of the book, the light upon nations, whatever those self-declared things, but that have infiltrated into the mentalities of many people, if they can figure that out, there's, there's hope for humanity. It's such an important thing that we figure out our issue here and that we manage to bring peace. The light that will shine from this place will be huge. And I, I don't think that we even understand. That not only do we have responsibility towards our own citizens and our own children, but really towards so many people in the world which are looking up to us. And that really pains me to see that it's going in such a negative direction and that the Jews, rather than, you know, we all know that throughout history, the Jews were always there for the human rights uh, movements, for everyone. They were standing alongside every single movement which fought for for people to be free, to be equal. They were always there, until it comes to Israel, to ourselves. And that's where something strange happens to us. It's like we're not able to... we' become warped in our in our um, ability to really set free our values and um, and I hope that some change will come. I actually spend a lot of time giving talks. I give talks not only you know alongside my concerts to communities, and sometimes I see beautiful results. I wish I could do it more, <laughs> but um but yeah, you know the Jewish American community is very important to me as I grew up in it, and I love it, and I love performing for these communities because. Their resonance with what I do is complete. The, the English, the Hebrew, the, the the story. It's we we live in the same. We were raised in the same garden. Right. So um, I'm really hope hoping that I can continue to have an impact. So if, um, yeah. I'm,
1: I'm just happy. No, I'm happy that you expressed your. I I think what I'll, uh, the only reaction I can because you said a lot and you have yeah. you <laughs> have a lot a lot uh, to say on the matter. But i on it. That you, that <laughs> Good you luck. Exp- No, I'm happy that you expressed those thoughts because I think one of the problems that we have today is the fact that we don't hear enough each other. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, where I might disagree and I guess we won't get into like where exactly... I'm happy that we uh, can give a platform to people to speak. And I think Especially that's the if they're important. articulate, which is <laughs> yeah. also very uncommon, though, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Um, well, not just sound bites of five <laughs> seconds or tweets right. of 40, 40 characters. Exactly, or, yeah, that's or, a so I'm, too. I think that's important that, that we hear each other out and we well, all listen and thank we you. think. <laughs>
0: thank you. So, no, if the community in America wants you to talk or to perform, perform who do they contact?
2: Well, you know, social media. <laughs> or, no, really, I mean, they can con- just follow. Find me on Facebook and find that my website has a contact page. They can write my manager, but you know, if I, I'm sure that if I say the email right now nobody will register it. But it's really easy to find me online and to reach out to me. I Actually answer all my messages myself, the, the Facebook messages right. and, and you know, I'm on Instagram and, and, and all of those things. What's your Instagram? Noah underscore Nini. <laughs> Amazing. So I'll put the links yeah, to all of, of sure. these and, things. And, and and Facebook it's Noah and then Achinoam Nini in parenthesis because of that the duality well, that name. But really, welcome to join me on any of these media and reach out to us and um, on LinkedIn or all those things.
0: And there are shows in, in, on the website. Yeah,
2: oh. my website is full of my upcoming concerts, okay. which are a lot. Yeah, in in, in the summer and um, and then about two thousand nine still forming around the Bach project.
1: And you said you're performing for the Pope in September? I'm going to meet the
2: Pope at the end of, of September and perform for him again. Uh, this Is this will be the lot? fourth time that I've met Pope Francis. I Is really. that an open concert? Or? No, no, no. I, I actually um, took part in a very, very big um, television program produced by um, TV 2000. It's a huge channel, Catholic channel. Uh-huh. And the, they did a very big interview with me about the Ave Maria my, what my thinking was in writing those lyrics, and how um, how I've performed it, and why I perform it, and what impact it's had on my life, and on the many millions of people that have heard it until today. It was a very interesting conversation, and they asked me to come and to talk and to perform this song for the Pope, so that they could film that and put it part of this as part of this program, which will be broadcast to many, many millions of people around Amazing. the world. Cool. Yeah, so I'm really fo- looking forward to that. So
0: before we go, we have a collaboration with The Jewish Journal. It's a big Jewish uh, news outlet in Los Angeles. You can check them out at jewishjournal.com and... And we
1: accept donations. Surprise, surprise, guys. From American we, Jews. We do this. Yeah, we do. This. So uh, Chaim Saban, uh, Soros, if you guys are listening. Now we, oh,
2: Soros. I love that guy. Does anyone have his number?
1: I, well, we'd be happy to get it. Yeah. But we uh, we accept donations, guys. We do this on our free time. So if you want to throw some uh, cash our way, we're happy to take it, obviously. Donate link at the uh, top of the website. So feel cool. free. Cool.
0: Noah. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. It was amazing. I really enjoyed talking to both of you. Bye. 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 Bye.
0: Bye.
2: Bye.
1: Bye. Bye. Bye.